Hi folks, I'm Alan Watts and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 24th of January 2011. Newcomers, I always suggest you look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website and help yourself to the, the hundreds of audios available there. Remember, all the sites you see listed um, carry the same audios. If you have a problem with the com, when a lot of people go into the, the com at the same time, you might find a sticky download. Try one of these alternate sites. They'll carry transcripts in English of a lot of the talks I've given for print-up as well. And if you want print-ups in other languages, go into Alan Watt Sentient, sentinel.eu. You'll see that on the, the site as well. And remember, too, you are the audience that bring me to you. I don't uh, take cash from the advertisers and bring them on and so on. So it's up to you to keep me going. And you can do so by buying the books and the discs and so on that uh, I have on cuttingthroughthematrix.com. From the U.S. to Canada, you can certainly use a personal check. You can also use an international postal money order from the post office. You can use cash and PayPal, too, to order. Just use the donation button there and send follow it up with an email with the name address and the order, and I'll get it out to you. Uh, same across the rest of the world with the addition of Western Union, which is... Um, Pretty fast direct wire transfer. It's a bit expensive, though. MoneyGram can do the same, I believe. I think they're a bit cheaper. And MoneyGram also offers you a check, which you can post across, and uh, that will take seven days, but it's a lot cheaper than wiring. So it's up to you how you want to do it. And plus, you go PayPal again. Just use a donation button, followed by an email with your name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you. And remember, too, straight donations certainly would be welcome. I don't get so many of those, believe you me, because everyone expects something for something, even though you give them hundreds of talks uh, where they can help. It really does help them put the big picture together uh, of how this world is run. And it's a mind-blower at first, of course, for a lot of people who just uh, initially have the shock of of, um, what they think is waking up when something really serious happens, like 9-11 and... um, and then the bank crashes and the cons and all the rest of it. But that's only the beginning because it's a long journey to truly wake up. And eventually you have to free fall. And I always call it free falling uh, because you have to free fall through all the, the nonsense you've been indoctrinated with and really look at everything afresh, everything afresh again. And even when it hurts you to throw certain values out and so on and um, certain beliefs out at times as well, certainly the belief in politics and the con behind that, then uh, only then do you start to truly uh, wake up into an individual person. Remember, part of this war, and it's been said at the United Nations and other organizations, is to destroy individualism. And that's why you're all being tracked right now. They're not looking for the general mass. They've got all your data. But just in case someone is an individual, thinks differently, and can use their actual uh, brain themselves and come to the conclusions themselves, 
without just getting lost in the piles of data that's deliberately put out on the Internet. Uh, that's what they're looking for. And uh, for those who've got the potential to wake up as well, they know who they are just by following all their, uh, their computer searches and so on. They know who they are. They know everything about us all. And to be honest with you, they always have done, even before they gave you the computer. But anyway, these different techniques then, and Jacques E. Lull talks about that. They started uh, total observation back in the 1950s of the Western world. So, as I say, you know, individualism is so important. And if you're an individual, you will not just fit into any group that's around you. You'll feel rather alienated for a while, uh, and then comes a kind of peace because... Um, you learn how to deal with groups and life in general. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix and going through this war of perpetual change. And that's what it's called at the top. It's a war of perpetual change, planned change, mind you, and directed change. They certainly would not allow anything that was not planned to come out and change anything. Everything has to be their changes, and it's all part of an agenda, of course, a very old agenda. They do print it up from their big think tanks and so on, and a lot of the players put out their memoirs once in a while because they just love to keep in the limelight. Nobody reads it. Very few folk read these books, or if they can read them, they can't. Understand the data. That's another thing I meant to mention too. I read an article a couple of years ago uh, from intelligence sources in the U.S., and they said that that uh, they were not really worried about uh, the internet and so on because uh, the people were really getting information overload, and they couldn't really discern. They didn't know how to discern data, and that's very very true. Uh, when you're surfing away and going from link to link, from and then you take, a, you take a tour of the universe and you've met every alien species, and I suppose it's out there. Then and then you're back again, reading the stuff that's happening here on Earth. Uh, you'll start blending the two together, and some people do until they cannot tell fact from fiction or, or, or reality and truth from disinformation. That's all intentional. And Sunstein and others have talked about this technique as well, and. Um, but as I say, the books are out there by the big boys themselves. You have no, you don't have to go and talk about conspiracies because they tell you what they're doing. We see the private meetings that they go to, and we know when they come out after these meetings that the, those who participated come out with articles in the newspaper, all at the same time, all talking about the same things, and they're telling you what the agenda is going to be. It's going to be. It's not going to go through Parliament or, or governments of any kind. This is going to be told to the governments what they put through, and they do it, you see. Because there certainly is a, a plutocracy, we might call them, to be kind. And perpetual war is a technique which they use. I've read the articles even from the U.S. military. It's in the archive section at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Uh, the British think tank for the, for the military and NATO put out the same one, just before the U.S. came out with theirs, projection for the next 50 years and so on. And basically it's perpetual war. And they actually had that article on perpetual war in the military magazine, which I've also got in the archives there, up for the next 50 years. In other words, since 9-11, you're not going to get a break. You won't get a breathing space. 
you're not going to get another 10 years of, say, 1960 to 1970 or 70, 80, where they were doing things a bit more slowly. It's perpetual war because it's shock and awe, you see. You can actually train people to expect crisis uh, every day or every week. And that's what they've been doing with us now. Getting us all unsettled with fears and coming fears and and the planet's going to freeze. No, 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 it's going to warm. Oh, no, 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 it's going to freeze again. And all this stuff is all to keep you off balance while they ram laws ahead for a different agenda. It's for total control. Anything will do. Any excuse will do, you understand. And the more you prattle about it and get into arguments and, and, and the pro and con side of it, then the more buried in the, the fable you become. And that's what they want, you see. They want you to argue about it rather than just toss out the window as bunkum. And uh, don't get into the pre-designed arguments, whatever you do. That's a great technique, very old technique. It works all the time. Just like politics, left wing, right wing, which one do you want? Same idea. Quigley said himself, eventually the two parties would become so much the same uh, that the public would, uh, they, and they wouldn't notice, of course, as long as it's got the same names that they're used to, uh, they wouldn't notice that their agendas are exactly the same. So it doesn't matter when one leaves office, the same agendas go forth. And it's been like that my whole life long. In every country, by the way, that I've been in. Now, so shock and awe is used, of course, shock and awe. And we've lived through, as I say, the bank crashes. Uh, we had 9-11, then we had the mortgage failures, then we had the, the bank crashes, then we had to bail out the banks that crashed us, supposedly, who are now make, making record profits, as always, and handing out billions to their top boys. And because nothing changes, they won't change that because they'll use it again. Uh, every twice, twice a century, these same guys plunder you. That's tradition with the international lenders and the banks. They plunder you twice a, twice a century. And so they'll keep up that. They won't fix it because they don't want it fixed. It's working according to, from their point of view. And no doubt in another 20 years, maybe before that, they'll plunder you again. And then your, your government, your government, you know, that your government will then bail them out with your money and put down your great-grandchildren as the debtors to pay it off with compound interest. But anyway, part of this shock and awe and perpetual war is also to do with uh, scare tactics. Always put out big fears. And I've read all the articles and the quotes from those at the IPCC, and you'll find that again at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com in the archive section where they go through them one by one, different people uh, at the top positions saying, we always have to give scary scenarios to the public so, so that they'll listen to us and do what we do and, and stuff like that. And they haven't stopped, and they will not stop because we're now in the age of crisis creation and then crisis management. It's a dialectic, you see. Oh, it's a crisis, crisis. The public turn to them and say, help us, help us, stop this from happening. And the government rolls out its, its dust. They blow off the dust off its agenda and says, oh, we just happen to have this ready for this particular crisis. And away they go. Old techniques. Now, one of them now is, is uh, from, again, the Royal Society members who have a group who now get paid by the government. Everybody gets paid by the government now, all these guys that scare you. And... Um, it's a tax-funded scientific globalist, basically, is what they are. But they're now advising your governments this private partnership deal on behalf of the big boys, um, uh, uh, even above them, the big corporations. And I'll put that up tonight as well. A whole bunch of their stuff all came out the same day in different newspapers. One of them's from Telegraph. And uh, food prices could double without uh, GM food. So in other words, we've got to take the modified veggies with all the Franken-food stuff 
uh, or, or we'll starve to death. Suddenly we're all going to starve to death, you see. And then the BBC did a similar one too in Science and Environment. And then the biz.gov UK foresight uh, also put one out, Global Food and Farming Futures. And then there was one uh, with the Telegraph, Food and Drink, uh, Food Could Double Again, yada, yada, yada. And then they go into there's going to be a global food sh- shortage and, and we'll have trouble feeding the world. Now, number one, see, there's a, there's a premise that's just altered, you understand? Since when is it our job to feed the world? Do you understand how they can shape a whole country, a world, in fact, into an agenda without, without saying, wait a minute, we're, you're not, you're not, you're not, you don't have nations anymore. You don't have your own farms anymore. Your government doesn't uh, just uh, look after you and your food and all the rest of it. Uh, they have to look after the whole world now. We're responsible for feeding the world, you see. Since when did that happen? Was I sleeping that night or something and missed it? Because, uh, because why do we have to feed the rest of the world? And you know darn well uh, that every scam that they come out with to do with food or anything else has nothing to do with helping anybody. You take the IMF and all that, the World Bank, they, they have driven countries into the dust with all their help and their aid and utter poverty they've driven them into. Uh, with uh, giving them the GM foods to plant and all the rest of it, and all the herbicides and pesticides, and uh, they've destroyed uh, countries, but they made themselves awful rich in the meantime as well along the way. That's what it's about. But really, really, you know, I mean, you know darn well that uh, the food, etc., does not get to where it's supposed to go. I read an article a week or two about a uh, go about Haiti, and Haiti has hundreds of these non-governmental organizations all getting your tax money and foundations money and by the millions. No one's taking count of what they do with it, except we know that nothing gets to Haiti. Nothing gets there. They're still begging for water in Haiti. Nothing's happening. And these, these NGOs end up as big corporations. We're the professionals in disaster relief. All that nonsense. Everything is an incredible racket. They don't want to bring up what they call the third world countries. And I've read the articles from the big boys themselves. And Kissinger too, that with the bill he put forth to do with their biggest threat to the state was uh, overpopulation, primarily in third world countries. Then they listed them all, and that went into action, by the way, uh, to try and depopulate those countries. That's what family aid is all about and family planning across the world is all bring down their population. So I'll put, uh, I'll put these links up tonight and you can peruse them at your leisure if you want to. And the other links that I mentioned, or the other articles I mentioned tonight too, I'll put links up for those. Now, I've talked before about how this whole plan was to be with unification of, of nations, but eventually the, remember communism is, is so vital if you understand it. Communism joined with capitalism, you might call it capitalism, but in reality they joined their masters because the, the communism was created by private, private international money lenders. And communism uh, and the Soviet Union, they were fed through their entire reign by the West. Why would you feed supposedly your greatest enemy that was going to nuke you? Why would you feed your greatest enemy that promised to go across the world overturning every other forms of government, culture, systems, a whole lot? Everything had to be completely demolished. And then, of course, the Rees Commission did come out in the 1950s 
as far back as the 50s, uh, and, and the top guys in the foundations, these private uh, philanthropic organizations, said their job was to change the culture in the U.S. and the rest of the Western Hemisphere so they could blend seamlessly down the road with that of the Soviet system, a socialist-type system. Ben-Gurion of Israel also talked about this. He got it right on. He says, it be the late 80s, this will happen. And he was pretty well about it. He said a a socialist system would come out of it under a a European government or parliament. And, of course, he wasn't just talking off his top of his head like some Nostradamus. He was really basically following Karl Marx because Ben-Gurion was a communist. And that's where he came from, the Soviet system. But he was a communist. And, um, of course, Karl Marx also talked about the unification and the withering away of the nation-state. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, just talking about a very old plan, as I first mentioned by Karl Marx uh, in the 1800s, and then espoused by and promoted by the Council on Foreign Relations and the Royal Institute for International Affairs, based in London, and the CFR, of course, is based in the States and, and Canada too. Uh, the Canadian uh, Institute for International Affairs changed its name about last year, I think, to something else to sort of disguise itself. But anyway... Uh, Australia has them, and New Zealand has them. I think they have them in India and elsewhere too. But uh, it's all for world government, basically. And again, the withering away of the nation state and the privatization of everything. And that's what the devolution of centralization in Britain, Britain is a test case, is they basically bring down, that idea is eventually to bring down the central government uh, into smaller and smaller units. And then you're living in your little commune. And then Europe itself, the European Government is in charge of your little area, and you will also go to them and then the World Bank for your little loans. And when you default, they'll sell it off to some private overlord. And I'm not kidding about that. That's what's coming down the pike. Now, part of the process is to sell off everything that the public supposedly thought were theirs. But they were a bunch of idiots, really, because they never owned anything, to be honest with you. They never had democracy. It's a great term for, for, for monsters to use, but... Um, I'm talking about the politicians, because it always fools the public. They used, they used to get a show of, we care, we care, and of course they never did, but it was good enough to keep voting people in. And now in their arrogance, they, they don't bother so much about some, uh, you know, just humoring you so much. Now they're selling off, apart from the roads, there's Rothschild actually, again, Lord Rothschild brought forth the proposal, I mentioned that again last year, of selling off Britain's private roads, auctioning them off. I guess he's a big auctioneer. No doubt we'll go to one of his relatives. But anyway, a uh, huge majority oppose England's sell-off of uh, forests. So they're selling off the, the, the forests across England. And it says that the pine forest at Bedgebury is owned by the Forestry Commission uh, trees, and, and then it shows you the, the trees and all the rest of it. Nice picture, yada, yada, yada. But the Forestry Commission, remember, too, is supposed to be a, a public institution, which means it should be owned by the public. The vast majority of the public oppose the government's plan to sell off all or part of the public-owned forests and woodland in England. The YouGov poll found that 84% of serfs, oh, sorry, people, agreed that the woods and forests should be kept in public ownership for future generations, while only two disagreed. 
The planners already prompted a mass demonstration and so on, naturally in the Forest of Dean, and an online petition uh, organised by the campaign group 30 Degrees, and they're collecting names, etc., which you're supposed to do in democracy, is collect names, but in more than a certain number, and it's supposed to get dressed in Parliament, but I don't think they've got a Parliament left there. I think it's probably going to go to Brussels and tossed in the bin somewhere. Anyway, most British people want our woodlands protected for future generations and for wildlife, yet now the government is pushing through plans to privatise them, said David Babs. They're asking us uh, how the forest should be privatised. How could you ask them how they should be privatised? But most of us don't want our forests privatised at all. So, I mean, it's true they set the premise for the argument. How, how would you like it? Uh, you know, we're going to sell off the forest. How would you like it sold off? You know, branch by branch, maybe. Uh, anyway, it says Carolyn Spellman, <laughs> the Secretary of State for the Employment, Food and Rural Affairs, will be given the power to sell land currently run by the Forestry Commission under the Public Bodies Bill. In November, the min- her minister, that's a politician, Jim Pace told the House of Lords Select Commission, we wish to proceed with very substantial disposal of public forest estate, which could go to the extent of all of it. Responding to the poll, the DEFRA spokesman said, the interest uh, this has generated clearly shows that the public care about the country's forests. We do too, or we, we do too, and that is why protection will be in place, uh, and so on and so on and so on. It says here, too, others argue that privatization of English woodland could cost the government millions of pounds in lost tax revenues. No, they won't. They'll just get it off the surface again in some other way and cancel out most of the money raised from its sale as private owners will enjoy exemption from capital gains tax, income tax, and inheritance tax. Well, you know who the big boys are that will be buying all that, don't you? So that's the kind of thing that's going on across there. I'm sure it's going on in other countries, too, that have joined the European Union because, as Mr. Uh, uh, the guy in charge of, or supposedly the head of the European Union Parliament says, he said it's the end of the nation state. And I read that article, too, uh, when he came out and said it. So it's the end of the nation state. And, and that's what they want eventually. No memory of a place called England, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, or whatever. Uh, and that's to go down the memory hole for future generations of children who won't know anything about the past. So that's what's happening. Now, again, back to shock and awe and perpetual war and crisis and all the rest of it. Uh, they're using, going to use wartime posters now to fight climate change. I don't know if you ever saw the wartime posters. There's sites up there with uh, a lot of the World War II ones on it. And you'll see the, 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 the nasty looking Japanese guy with, he always had thick glasses on and, and, and big teeth, you know, uh, coming at you with a gun or the Germans were the same, uh, and so on. They always, always made their enemies look like, like primal animals of some kind. And that's what you do in war. You must, you must dehumanize the enemy so that they're, it's easier to kill them. Well, they're using the same techniques now and same kind of posters to fight climate change, to change the weather. Uh, wartime-style posters be used in a new campaign against climate change following a hard-hitting report that compares the current environmental crisis to World War II. These guys don't go away, do they? I mean, this is an agenda, you understand. They must ram this all through. I've said many times, if God came down and says it's all bunkum, they'd have to nuke them. Back with more after this break.
listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, this is Cutting Through the Matrix, talking about the propaganda posters they're coming out with now. No doubt they'll have them on television and they already have different articles on television, ads and all the rest of it. They want posters for based on wartime propaganda uh, to bring us back into austerity, you see, because they have decided in their lofty positions that we down below uh, are just living too well, you see, and we've been spoiled and we have to return to a different era where we all pull together. We're all in it together, you see. That was the slogan of World War II. We're all in it together. And as, as, uh, as they made you live in hovels and under the, the ground and, and, you know, when you're getting bombed, it blazes. And, uh, well, they had their own personal private underground bunkers in the country, on their country estates and stuff like that. But anyway, that's got nothing to do with reality, does it? The New Home Front Initiative, it says here, is what they're calling it. And Caroline Lucas, the leader of the Green Party. I love these these parties. It's so mystery religion-ish, isn't it? With their, their red for Labour, their blue for Conservative, and green, of course, for the, the final party that's to take the world. And that was set up by the Communists, too. Madeleine Albright's uh, father or grandfather was set it up, actually. A great pal of Stalin, he was. But anyway... It says, uh, the new home front initiatives will look to the wartime generation for inspiration and advice on how to stop waste and make resources go further. For example, by teaching grandchildren how to grow vegetables or repair clothes. It looks like we're in for a hard time ahead, folks. Uh, artists and even the public are being asked to design a poster inspired by wartime propaganda, such as the campaign introduced petrol use with the slogan, Don't Be Foolish. Uh, British institutions that led the war effort, such as the Women's Institute, are already part of the push by teaching women how to cook with leftovers and make preserves. Remember George Orwell talked about propaganda because he was employed as a propagandist during World War II for the BBC. And his job was to bring on this exactly same kind of uh, hour every day where they taught women how to use junk food that was left over and stuff that they used to throw away, actually, um, for meats, etc., and to tell them how far healthier this was and how much better it was. And they'd bring on scientists who would give them a lot of nonsense and tell them this bit of grizzle that gives you far more energy, etc., than that bit of steak there. So stuff like that, that's, that's what propaganda is all about, isn't it? So I'll put this up as, up as well. This is Ms. L- Ms. Lucas, of course, the first Green MP voted in the Parliament, will present her findings to the House of Commons later in the year. Should the MPs may have to look at a system of rationing. And I told you in 9-11, the very night it happened, that's what would happen. You'll see a whole wartime scenario from now on, including rationing. So a system of rationing in order to make the division of a limited amount of precious resources fair. She pointed out in the 1940s, 9 out of 10 people supported rationing because it was more fair than letting only rich people enjoy limited resources. You know, there's a a documentary out there on um, Rosie Newman who was a, a wealthy banker from Germany who came over to Britain's, um, we'll call her a princess because she literally was, you know, uh, upper crust, incredibly rich and lived on daddy's pocket change. And uh, they, they, they actually owned estates all over the world and they also um, rented like a block of cities just for themselves here and there, which they used once in a blue moon. But she travelled the world into the British Raj and places like that, where the upper class had already, by using the commoners to fight their wars, 
um, taken over places like India, and you have to see the kind of lifestyle they lived. That it was meant to be shown only to her own class, all her movies that she made. But uh, have a search on the internet and try and find it. It's just absolutely stunning to see how these people lived. And of course, it mentions in it that she and her own class were completely untouched by the depression of the 20s, 30s, that went right into World War II. And, and, uh, and then she moved into one of the biggest restaurants in London during World War II and got the same kind of service as she always had. So she was not on the rationing, uh, and neither were any of the rest of them, uh, that the rest of the public uh, were, were getting as we're all in it together. Uh, it says, if we're waiting to overcome the threat of climate change, what, what threat of climate change? Our country will need to move into the equivalent of a war footing. So there you go, where the efforts of individuals, organizations, and government are harnessed together and directed to a common goal. Only this will provide the urgency, energy, and creativity we need to avert disaster, she said. Because, you see, now it's redistribution of your wealth across the world and of course, we have global hunger, and you don't have a country anymore where you can demand your government looks after your own farmers instead of puts them out of business. And, of course, it's all designed this way because eventually the United Nations is supposed to dish out or dole out the, the, the food of the world to each region, as they call it. And that was written back at the end of World War Two. So you're going to see that introduced eventually. And along with that comes a bunch of um, uh, stipulations that you must bring down your populations in your little area. And it's your problem as to how you bring them down, folks. Yep. Now, The Economist put out a little article here on influential people meet and talk, meaning a wealthy elite. And they go into... Uh, the Bilderbergs and so on, and then they mentioned even ones for, for Indians of the world. That's from India. Uh, they have their own club as well. Of course, they're all related together, and how the different big banks come in together with it, with the all companies and all economics really are run uh, by these big people. Nothing goes through governments unless they tell it to go through government, like put a bill through for this or that. And that's how the world's really always been. As I say, the U.S. itself, when I said uh, last week or so that the U.S. was going, that the establishment in the U.S., which is the U.S., we're going off to China to do a big deal. That's what the U.S. is, U.S. Inc., you know, corporation. That's what the U.S. is. It's always been that way, massive business. The rest of the stuff is just propaganda for the public. So I'll put this link up as well, and uh, you can see all the different, uh, well, some of the, the big organizations that all work together to bring in this global society. And as quickly said, it's a new feudal system with top CEOs and so on being feudal overlords. But even they won't be the kings. Remember, a few overlords don't, are not the king. They need someone above them. And, of course, there are people above them, which the public will never hear of at all, ever. Um, now, we'll go to the phones now. And there's John from Canada on the line. Are you there, John? Hello, Alan. Yes. Yes, I, I wanted to... Uh course what you were saying in respect to uh, politicians and these so-called aid groups or charity groups like the World Bank or the IMF and the UN claiming that they serve the public's interest but top secretly very often discovered factually uh, to be doing nothing of the sort, cheating yes. us at this game that's been played uh, forever. We're always fighting the same battle, I believe, very similar to what you were just saying. I think in some respects we would find common ground there. I wanted to bring up this documentary that CBC produced called 
the damned, and it was about the World Bank building a, a, a dam in Ashrida, India. And uh, the World Bank, they have a declaration or a constitution like America has also that says, we will do no harm, we are here to serve you, uh, we are all in this together, that sort of thing. And part of the provision of this constitution that they so-called so operate under was that they have to decide whether the project they're investing in is a good thing or a bad thing, of course. So uh, one of the... Uh, uh, positions that they had was to investigate what benefits this would bring to India to build this uh, multi-billion dollar dam. And, the, and their report was just damning. It said this, is, this serves no interest, uh, no positive outlook for the people of India. It's got to do with their energy interests and the fact that they burn coal and a bunch of other things. But there, there, there just will be no positive to this. You'll displace easily a million people and uh, they're going to have no place to live. And what many of them will die from dysentery or different kinds of diseases, uh, more than likely be left to live in a garbage dump. And in the documentary, they showed these towns that are full towns, paved roads, stores, businesses, that were all flooded because the World Bank decided it doesn't matter what what mm -hmm. you say, even as the employees of the World Bank, because it was discovered in this documentary, which was just incredible, that, it, that the world banker, the specific banker who had forced this through, had bought up all this land in India yeah, and, uh, yeah. and had, oh, yeah. uh, had contractual arrange arrangements for a sugarcane factory for himself and, and to employ 14 people. Yeah. So this place a million people in India for his his greed and hatred of 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 uh, this this the horrible human uh, condition here. So there there that was just a perfect example of what you're talking about. Where, as we see throughout history, we never get national accountability on any yeah. of these uh, uh, demons who who we believe falsely. Well, of course, a police officer would be investigating Goldman Sachs if they were committing criminal fraud. But they're not, you know, and like Elizabeth Warren, who is the chair uh, uh, of the Congressional Oversight Panel, the top cop, hired independent auditors to come in, and they concluded that, yes, there was criminal fraud transpiring, but it didn't go anywhere from that moment. Because right. the, the, there's no real cops there to, to form the warrants and make the proper arrests. As we had with BP, too, the same nature, where in congressional testimony, it was discovered that BP, at the orders of Halliburton, ordered to remove the safety fluid. And when, when the professionals were asked what would happen, if you, do, if you did that, well, the rig blows up. And what happened? It blew up. That's the cause of the effect of the oil spill, a conscious, willful attack against the great America who's left without proper uh, leadership because you have to sell your soul practically to get any political Oh, you have to. You have to. You have to. You know, these guys are just patsies in the frontier. They get well rewarded. Tony Blair was exactly the same in Britain. And and we've got them in Canada as well. They're all Remember, they're all picked by the Council on Foreign Relations to become prime minister or presidents. Every single one of them is vetted for years before we hear their names and groomed for their position. And they're actually told when they'll get in. You'll get in in 19 so-and-so, or, or, or the year 20, whatever. And, and that's how it really, really works. It's a con game. But the World Bank, we, we've got to remember, it's not some kind of a super governmental uh, over, an oversight system. It's a, private, it's a private collection of international money lenders. So is the International Monetary Fund. And they do charge compound interest. And they put countries under, and they actually do their studies, just like you're talking about with India, and they know how much, as they call it, collateral damage there'll be, but that's just it's too bad, it's so sad, there's a war on for the world, and those folk are dis disposable, and they do this in every single country. 
So uh, uh, you understand the public hear the terms like World Bank and they think it's some kind of super governmental uh, system. No, it's not governmental at all. These are all private institutions. We are run by private institutions. We truly are. And, and governments now um, are, are in public private partnerships on every single level. And, and whenever they want something done or they're told to get something done by their bosses and it's not the public, um, they bring in one of the big think tanks to do their studies and feasibility studies and, and, and for them. And, of course, those, those guys who do all the studies have ulterior goals, of course, for themselves. So we live in an incredibly controlled system that knows exactly where it's going. And um, as I say, the, the, the ordinary folk never benefit from this in any way whatsoever. Wherever the World Bank has been and the IMF has been, you will find millions sometimes of people making their living on garbage dumps after they've been through the country and raped it and pillaged it. Well, Alan, they, you, they no. interviewed the families, uh, actually, in the documentary, who were living in a garbage dump. People yes. who had farms, actually, for sure, they, you know, dying in the garbage dump, little yep. children uh, screaming uh, in agony, even uh, suffering from some form of uh, ailments. But listen, you know, uh, it's it's not impossible for us to defeat these demons because uh, it's television that's supposed to be expressing our interests. They, too, like Fox News, we represent uh, America's interests. But I argue very successfully that Beck is a true communist because you have a program like the FEHBP, which is the Congressional uh, Health Care Plan. And in their case, they don't, dis- they don't demand Ron Paul and all his crew don't demand half of their health care fund that they have to pay their salary into go thoughtlessly go thoughtlessly to a banker, but they do insist that the American sucker suffer that way. And I say that that's what communism is, where you're not treated fairly. Only the global elites get special... Well, well that's exactly what... Uh, all, all this stuff, all this stuff about about uh, a global elite and no middle class and a peasant class. See, the, the middle class is to get replaced by technocrats, and, uh, and that's what we have now, is technocracy, uh, a form of technocracy where we don't have a middle class so much anymore. They want to eradicate that. And they're always on about the, the, oh, the gulf between the rich and poor is getting wider. They've been saying that since the 1960s because that is the agenda. Yeah, and, and the attack right now with the austerity measures, it's nothing more despicable than to know that, for sure, the Federal Reserve with the Treasury has committed massive criminal fraud, as according to the SEC, by formal criminal complaints filed by the Bank of Scotland and Deutsche Bank, they wanted their money back because they were defrauded. They got their cash back and, and that because Goldman Sachs was facing a prison term. You as the American sucker, you don't get at least your $14 trillion back. No, instead, you've got to go after welfare mothers. And, and, and meanwhile, there's, there's Goldman Sachs. This Goldman Sachs over in China right now, you know, they've been over to China uh, to do the biggest deals for the big boys on behalf of the president and so on, using the American tax money again, of course, which will fund everything. And there they are. You, yes, you are living in a... It's just a big gang. See, there's no such thing as democracy. It's the biggest gang. And this gang has been here for at least a couple of hundred years running this system in this, this fashion. Yeah, Mike, Mike Rivero gives an argument talking about how when Bush came into power, he, provi- he provided tax incentives for American corporations to leave the country and uh, go elsewhere and, and punish those who don't. Well, now, well actually, that, that, that all, Canada, did the, Canada did exactly the same thing because they all signed the World Trade Organization through the GATT Treaty, and, and they prepared 15 years ahead to, to start moving it, the, the factories out to the West. And that was done again through the United Nations and the World Bank.
Yeah. yeah, but it was interesting when Obama took power. I thought for sure this is going to be reversed, and they put in a bill to try to reverse it to say we're going to reward co corporations from to, from foreign nations to come into America, and we'll punish American companies who decide to leave. Uh, Russia today covered this: forty-two thousand factories have left America. That's a lot of yeah, jobs. That's right. Bush took power, but guess what? They tried to pass the bill, and guess what? Republicans said that would hurt the U.S. economy. That's right. They're con men because the TV should have defeated them and demanded their. Uh, but you you can't. You cannot do. It's with the system the way it is because the public don't have a system to represent themselves. It's completely bogus. It's just as bogus in Canada. Just as bogus in Canada. Quigley went through the whole history of Canada and, and the, uh, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, setting it up and so on. And believe you me, every Prime Minister we've had has been a member of the same organization uh, for a global, uh, global society. And that came out absolutely openly with Trudeau when he changed the system upside down and opened, again opened the door to, to massive immigration. Same thing as Blair did, and, and he said it has to be diverse until literally, and he said too, and, and this, this, even the Toronto Sun used to publish it up until the 90s, uh, it was mandated that all immigration must be 97% non-white every year. And it was like that for 20 years. I don't know what it is today. To, to destroy any culture that remained over from, say, Britain, the old system. And that was what Blair said as well to his, his, uh, his second in command, who disclosed it in the newspapers. This was an, an old agenda to eradicate all histories of the world that was to bring in the new world that will be. And, and it's not going to be um, some happy, happy world family, believe you me, because... We've already seen that people's, people always club together with their own. We have that in Canada, all over the place. And then you've got other, it's just other gangs competing with other gangs. That's what they're bringing in. And then they'll deal with the fallout as it, as it goes along as well. Yep. But thanks for calling and back after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, but yeah, people haven't an eye, a clue really what's been done. Where, and again, it's Marxism again was the, the key to it, and Karl Marx was just a tool of the big boys for this one global system. How he was to play the dialectic part, and he certainly did. But he said the same thing, uh, that um, eventually the nation states would wither away. But it was also remember to destroy all history, memory of any kind of culture. Under the guise, if there's no culture left, no one would fight each other. But you actually do get fighting when groups come in from uh, the new countries that are more prosperous nowadays and more prosperous, and they form their own areas and their own little groups and elite groups and financial groups, and they only work amongst themselves. So we haven't got this wonderful utopia after all, because utopias don't exist, folks. Now we'll go to Tom from Wisconsin now. Are you there, Tom? I'm here. Yes. Uh, how are you doing tonight, Alan? Oh, hanging in about 33 degrees below last night, Fahrenheit. Wow, <laughs> pretty cold. Cold here as well in Wisconsin. Uh, I, I just finished watching Soylent Green with Charlton Heston. Yeah. And I have to say that it's starting to become clear to me that all of the potential futures that humanity as a whole faces uh, are really spelled out in some of these se uh, seminal films that have been released over the last uh, 50 years. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, if people 
would accept that these things are actually possible, you know, we might have a shot. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if they can't even accept that what they see portrayed on the, the, the movie screens, yeah. as this exists in people's minds, this reality actually does exist in people's minds. Did you know that, that uh, Soylent Green was actually funded by, again, the same groups? Uh, and they wanted the na- actual name of the book was Make Room. Make Room. There's going to be too many people who don't do something. And it was actually put out to scare people into depopulation. Yeah. That was its function. And the most incredible part of it was when the trucks come down, the scoopers. Mm-hmm. Um, that, was, that, was, that was really shocking to me. I mean, I've seen horror films, Alan, but... Yeah. But that was really the most shock, one of the most shocking scenes I've ever seen in a film, mm-hmm. yeah. without a question. And what they're, they're getting through to you, too, is that with so many people, then life is devalued. You're not an endangered species. You're just superfluous. And, yeah, they can just really scoop you up with big uh, bulldozer fronts and, and dump you, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but, yeah, I just I just wanted to share that with everybody. I mean, it's, if you haven't seen Soylent Green, I would highly recommend it because it it tells you what the elite have as a plan for the future. <laughs> wow. Yeah, these, these writers actually are brought in to, to specific uh, organizations, told what to write, just like H.G. Wells was. Uh, he worked with professors from Oxford and Cambridge, and they gave him the ideas. And, and he had to write the stories, but they had to embed things in the stories to change the culture, change the, the way we thought about things, so that we'd be prepared, unbeknownst to ourselves, uh, for the next step and the next step. And, of course, the, the, the Futurist Society is a big organization that all the big sci-fi writers belong to. And if you're lucky and good enough, you'll get picked to, to put out another predictive programming uh, movie out there that the youngsters all, all, all gobble up, never knowing they're, they're getting um, brainwashed into seeing things the way that the elite want you to see them. Yeah. One, one of the things that I did notice, and this is my last point that I'd like to make, is that it seems these propaganda films, they, they sort of pass through the, 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 the time, uh, you know, they, they leave the future generations that don't ever see the film, and they just they fit so well in their when they come out because the culture that they reflect as the future is so similar to the one that they're in at the moment. Exactly. I've mentioned the one idiocracy uh, about the future, but it's actually here. I mean, and the guys who wrote it know it too, but they present it in the future, but it's actually here, and they're having a good laugh at the general population that they've brought us to that level. But thanks for calling. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you.